You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Point out the colors of you. I see them too, and boy, I like them. I like them. I like them. We wait to fly to partake in all this hate. We out here vibing. We vibing. We vibing. Alexa, play Ariana Grande. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the latest episode of Windy City Gridiron Radio. With you, as always, your host, Robert Zaglinski, editor, writer, producer at Windy City Gridiron, various other football and Bears places. Uh, today, we are on the next, one of the final legs, rather, of my Summer Bears Opponents Preview Series. We've gone through the Packers, we've gone through the Lions, and we're going to finish up the North today with the Minnesota Vikings, the defending division champions. Um, he's a little silent now, but I'll bring him in in a second. Uh, the defending division champions that heartbreakingly lost in the NFC Championship game to the Eagles. But they have some new pieces. They're looking to finally get over the top after decades of disappointment and, and anguish that, that they experienced last January. Uh, to help break all of this down, to break down the Bears' matchup with the Vikings, Kirk Cousins cooking some kind of alien slash bison meat. Uh, here joining me is Seth Topol, sports announcer at the Scoop for KLGR in Redwood Falls, Minnesota. Uh, Seth, what's up? Robert, uh, I got to say, this this feels kind of weird. I'm used to being the one doing the uh, the interview or hosting the segment. Uh, so being on this side of the chair uh, is a little weird for me, but uh, I, I'm very excited to uh, help break down this uh, this Vikings-Bears situation that we'll have uh, going on next season. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Seth has me often on his show, so I thought it'd be perfect to return the favor, get him, pick him a little bit for his Vikings expertise, um, poke the bear a little bit, no pun intended, try to rile him up, see if he has any hot takes, see if he yells at me, see if he rants at me, see where that goes, you know? So I thought it'd be perfect. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm all ready for it. I'll, I'll spew some fire here if I need to. Okay, okay. Uh, let's start with the top. I kind of alluded to it, Seth. Kirk Cousins in town, fully guaranteed contract, three years. Uh, what are the expectations? I know you were saying to me in the pre-show that you're kind of, angered by the all of the rankings in the summer season where there's not really much to talk about there's not much football or, or draft stuff to talk about um but i'd imagine expectations otherwise are pretty high for a team that won 13 games last year and should probably be in the thick of the nfc again yeah that's exactly it uh, you look at where this team was last year 13 and 3 they win the division they are able to beat the new orleans saints uh, in the divisional round of the playoffs, they end up getting uh, pretty pretty roundly squashed by uh, the Eagles in the NFC title game. But uh, you look at 
what this team brings back. They they bring back pretty much all the same starters this year, with the exception of quarterback, and uh, they add Sheldon Richardson on the defensive line. So I think the expectations for this team are to at least get back to uh, the same spot that they were at. This defense pretty much across the board uh, has players in their peak, uh, players at uh, at various uh, rankings throughout uh, the league, top in their position. Um, one of the best defenses in football, and it returns pretty much every player that was a key part of that. And then you look at uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you have weapons like uh, Kyle Rudolph, who continues to be uh, a very reliable pass-catching tight end. You've got the uh, the wide receiver tandem of uh, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, who have uh, continued to grow and become very good receivers in this league. And one of the things that seemed to hold this team back at points was just the decision-making uh, at the quarterback position. So they bring in a guy... Um, Kirk Cousins, who at the very least, they know what they will get from him game in and game out and throughout the course of his season. So they've improved upon that quarterback position, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, they've improved upon that quarterback position. They've also bolstered their defensive line. So I, I don't think there is much more that they could do in order to make a Super Bowl caliber roster. So I'm pushing all, if I'm the Vikings, I'm pushing all the chips in the middle of the table. I think this is their window. And within the next couple of seasons, it is uh, Super Bowl or bust in my mind. And I think this coming season, they have to at least get to where they were uh, in order for it to be considered a success. I'm going to dispute with you a little bit on a point. What, because the reason to me, while watching, and I know you can't judge an entire season off of one game, Seth, but the reason to me that the Vikings lost that NFC Championship wasn't necessarily just Case Keenum's ineffectiveness. It was just being bullied around and pushed around by the team that they're probably going to have to go through more than likely again in the Eagles and that elite defense in particular. Um, what would you say to the concerns that maybe Kirk Cousins isn't that much of an upgrade over Case Keenum? And I know you and I discussed this, I believe, a week ago or something like a week and a half ago, to where his fully guaranteed contract maybe costs you someone like Anthony Barr or Everson Griffin in the future when you have to drop a new contract. Well, it's it's a it's a fair point because that that is the uh, that's the price of bringing in the thing that you think will solve a problem is that you end up having to be deficient uh, in other areas. I look at it this way: so you had Case Keenum have this great season and get the Vikings to thirteen and three uh, after he uh, he came in for Sam Bradford. But here's the question that I pose to people when they say, "Well," you bring in Kirk Cousins, did you really solve any problems? So let's say they sign Case Keenum to uh, a deal and have him be the starter going forward. Do we have any sort of a base to go off of as to what we expect for him um, as a quarterback? He, heading into last year, had really only had a chance to start uh, part of one season with the Rams, and the results there were uh, not particularly good. Now, he had filled in 
with Houston as a starter uh, for some games throughout his tenure there. But his track record was pretty spotty uh, heading into his uh, landing with the Vikings. Now, obviously, he came into a really good situation. Uh, The offense was both catered to his uh, areas of his game that he was good at, uh, but also he made a lot of really good plays. He extended drives and uh, was able to elude pressure um, to make some really good plays that ended up winning this team some games. I'm not disputing that. But some other areas where he seemed to struggle was just in decision-making and and going through his reads. It seemed like there would be points where it would take him quite a while to go through his progressions, and he he would end up leaving some plays on the table uh, in in order to go to a safer route, which not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, I can remember uh, a handful of times throughout the year where he would leave a receiver wide open on a basically a busted coverage and would opt to go to a running back or a tight end uh, as opposed to taking the home run swing. I think Kirk Cousins, while he may not uh, he may not be um, as mobile in the pocket, I think what Cousins brings is a decisiveness and a willingness to uh, to try to take those shots. And uh, while he may turn the ball over more, that that is uh, is certainly a valid point. I, I just feel like Cousins will be able to uh, go through his his reads in this offense uh, a little bit quicker, get the ball out quicker. So while we won't see those extended plays uh, that Keenum made, I, I think we'll see Cousins be able to offset some of his lack of mobility in the pocket uh, and awareness in the pocket. Uh, by just getting the ball out quicker and, and taking some of those big shots as well. We, the Vikings have the the players to do it with Thielen and Diggs, and I, I hope that Cousins will be able to uh, to quiet some of the uh, the doubters by hitting some of those big shots uh, and being able to move the ball downfield. Before we move to the next topic, I, I did want to note this as someone that does hate ranking season. I, I should preface this that 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 objectively hates it, Seth. I, I do, and I know you do too. Um, but why do I see Adam Thielen? I mean, I, he's a good player, but he had one good season, Seth. He's twenty-seven years old. Um, why am I supposed to believe he's a top ten receiver now? Why is he? Why am I supposed to? Why is he among the, the the ranks of Julio Jones and Antonio Brown and and actually, quite frankly, even his teammate, who in my opinion is better, Seth? Um, I, I know rankings. It's the summer; people need things to talk about. But I quite frankly think that's a little ludicrous to have Adam Thielen, who's had one elite year, to be ranked among the, among those that kind of annals. Well, uh, did you know that he was uh, was undrafted? Uh, I'm sure that story has made. The oh run. yeah, he's, he's undrafted. <laughs> <laughs> he's a hard worker. Oh, I get it. And then that, and then he has one really good season. He's and he's he's a superstar now. He's 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 a grinder. He he came from. Was he was he a farmhand? Was he like Jordy Nelson? Was he a farmhand somewhere while growing up, making some extra money? Am I missing this? Wow, I I feel I feel incredibly. I you might I have apologize. I apologize for the disrespect. Wow, wow. 
I did. I did not know he was undrafted. I, wow. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Fox and CBS missed a big opportunity by not mentioning that during Vikings games. But oh yeah, they, I feel not over and over, not over and over. Definitely no. To uh, to get back to the question though, <laughs> I, I think the thing with Thielen that has has led to um, him being ranked so high as a receiver is just banking on potential. Uh, I think evaluators and and experts, quote unquote, um, throughout the NFL, see what he was able to do last year, um, and kind of started to come out of the uh, come into the spotlight. Uh, back in 2016, when he had 69 catches uh, for just under a thousand yards, um, he he's just such a solid uh, pass catcher and a guy who can make tough contested catches um, and, and can just stretch the field in a variety of ways. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Um, now, is Diggs better? I agree with you. I think Diggs is the better receiver uh, between the two of them. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get to uh, to that a little bit later on here. Um, but I think Thielen is uh, is starting to uh, to tap into some potential, and people see what he's been able to do so far, and they say, "Well, if he can keep this up and he can continue um, along this path, then there's no reason that he can't be um, one of the top receivers in the league." He just is a guy. If I had to describe him in in a couple of uh, a couple of words or a sentence. He's just a guy that's not going to make plays that hurt you as a football team. He makes all the solid plays. He's good at uh, at catching deep passes and uh, is just a guy that will battle to get uh, open and to get extra yards. Uh, and I think that is, is most of the reason that he uh, has jumped up the rankings so quickly here uh, over the last couple seasons. Would you say he's gritty? Would would you say he has a hardworking mentality? You know, I, I think gritty would be uh, a a perfect <laughs> uh, perfect word to use for Thielen. He's he he's kind of a Wes Welker type. Uh, if we're if we're going to describe him, um, oh. used, uh, previous wide receivers. I, I'm glad you caught the reference. I was going with that. Uh, he's just a he's just a gritty. You know, he rem- he really reminds me of Julian Edelman and and yeah. Danny, and, Danny, and Danny Amendola. I'm surprised he's not a patriot, to be honest. Well, let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> could be in his future. Seth, uh, you we mentioned Stefan Diggs. We'll talk about him in a second. But first, uh, some new contract situations. Someone already resolved. Daniil Hunter, who was to me inexplicably 23 years old. I am older than Daniil Hunter. Yep. And I feel like I feel I thought he was like 28 or 29. I thought that was like a seasoned veteran. I've just it feels like I've been watching him for six or seven years and he's 23 years old and here he is signing a mega deal. Um really inking that kind of ideal first round contract status where he's gonna be able to get two more big contracts as long as he stays productive uh, in the NFL. But anyway, uh five years 72 million, 40 million guaranteed. Uh, one of the more highly compensated players in the Vikings roster now. Um, was he worth the money? Was he worth the potential headaches of losing other guys? Would you? I mean, I'm going to unpack this off of you right now, and then you can kind of say where you want. Was he worth potentially losing someone like Everson Griffin or Anthony Barr in a season or two? Um, yeah, let's. What's the deal here? Not and no pun intended again. 
<laughs> um, you look at this deal, look at where the NFL is going. And I'm, I'm sure you can, uh, can relate to this with, with seeing what the bears are trying to do with their defense and defenses throughout the league. Defensive line is one of the premium spots that you try to amass as much talent as you can. We saw the Philadelphia Eagles do this, uh, and that was a huge reason as to why they were able to get to the Super Bowl um, with uh, their run last year. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams beefing up their defensive line. Teams have been trying to stack as much talent as possible uh, on the defensive line in order to try to combat all these good quarterbacks. And Daniil Hunter, yes, he's young, as you mentioned. Uh, you don't have to tell me about uh, the age gap, uh, even between Hunter and myself. I'm not going to tell you the number, but um, he is being paid based off of potential. Once again, we talked about potential with Adam Thielen. Um, he is being paid off of potential. Uh, he, I think, has the fifth most sacks or is tied for fifth most in league history. Uh, before uh, the age of uh, 25. So that tells you uh, about what he's done so far. Uh, look at some of the uh, scenarios that were playing out during the season last year, which led to his numbers uh, taking a little bit of a dip. Um, you had Everson Griffin, who was dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis uh, after the Cleveland game uh, the rest of the season. He wasn't the same player uh, as he was, so he wasn't having to draw as much attention. Uh, Linval Joseph was basically getting double-teamed every play. So then you leave two offensive linemen uh, that can go toe-to-toe with Daniil Hunter um, or Everson Griffin, and uh, having those having those guys uh, being not able to get to the quarterback uh, and, and to draw those extra coverages uh, and... I think that was a big part as to why Daniil struggled is teams were able to throw a lot more attention his way because the Vikings didn't really have a descript three technique uh, on the defensive line. And uh, with Everson Griffin not being at the uh, the top level he was uh, at the beginning of the season, he was nearly an MVP candidate uh, up until that Cleveland game with what he was able to do, fell off after that. So I think if we look at this defensive line being a little bit more balanced this year with Everson Griffin, uh, they've added Sheldon Richardson and Linval Joseph, so you have to pick how you're going to cover those two. And if you devote more attention to the middle, well, then that's going to leave some one-on-ones for Hunter um, on the far side. And I think if it's going to come down to having to lock up a player who has the potential to be really, really good uh, and is just 23 years old as opposed to uh, one of those older defensive linemen um, or Anthony Barr or Stephon Diggs, I think I would definitely rank uh, Daniil Hunter as the top priority to lock up. There, That's not to say there isn't risk. He's 23 years old. He had, uh, by all accounts, a down year uh, stats-wise last year. And if he then repeats that this coming season, then I think the Vikings may have a little bit of a problem on their hands. But as long as he takes a step forward and continues to do so uh, throughout the length of his contract, the Vikings are going to look back when they sign him to his next deal, uh, and they're going to say, wow, we uh, we got a pretty good steal uh, when we were able to, uh, to ink Daniil Hunter a little bit below market value uh, back uh, before his uh, career really took off. 
What's your concern level? I think you kind of just addressed this, but give me on a scale of one to ten of losing someone else on the roster with Hunter. Uh, you know, I I'm gonna put it right now at one to ten. I'm gonna put it at a six and a half. Six and a half. Wow. So I, I, when I say t- so, you're inching towards that. You're kind of concerned. I, I'm I'm a little bit. Uh, I'm just a slight bit concerned that they won't be able to uh, to lock everybody up. But then again, as with every team, if you lose uh, a free agent uh, that signs elsewhere, well, then you have the opportunity to replace them with the draft. And you look at some of the players that the Vikings have brought through the draft um, the last couple of years, the Laquan Treadwell pick probably being the worst of the bunch. But uh, they have done a good job of being able to supplement uh, top tier talent with uh, with draft picks. So while I am concerned that uh, that it's possible that one of these uh, core players is not going to be uh, locked up, I I am confident that they uh, would be able to uh, to at least replace part of their production uh, through the draft. So uh, we'll we'll have to see, I would guess that uh, they'll try to get one more of those extensions done, uh, and then we'll have to franchise tag somebody else after the season. But I, at this point, I'm just a li- I'm a little hesitant, a little the needle's a little bit uh, over half full. Um, so we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah, and I'm looking at I'm 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 buying you saying that really the next one or two years is the window for this team because I'm looking at the ages and I kind of didn't realize this. I mean, Xavier Rhodes is 28. Everson Griffin is 30. Laval Joseph is 29. Uh, Kirk Cousins' deal is structured for three years, but, I mean, within the one or two years, you likely want want to see the Super Bowl given the age of this roster. This roster is built for now, um, and even while the Vikings, while well, they have drafted really well of in, in recent years, um, even while they can supplement a lot of that talent, I mean, it's going to take time to build back up to get back to this kind of window um, with an eventual, you know, one to two or maybe even three year downturn. So um, I'm, I'm seeing kind of what you're outlining, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, the the thing that has, has always hampered the Vikings, um, at least in recent years or years that they've been successful, is it seems like they've had a lot of top end talent. And by top end, I mean, players who are right in the prime of their career uh, and thus are paid as being players in the prime of their career. So they've had a lot of those top-end guys. They really have not had the depth to be able to say, well, if we lose uh, a Linval Joseph, then we can plug such a, uh, we can plug such and such player in, and we're not going to really be able to tell the difference. Now, granted, with having a lot of top-end players, uh, you're not going to be able to uh, cover their production if they get hurt. But even having guys like uh, like Harrison Smith, the safeties behind him, um, have been pretty good when they've come in uh, in short bursts. But you wonder uh, what would happen if you had to replace him over the course of a season. Uh, as you start to get through some of those names, the defense really takes a hit. And, uh, and as such, the, the window is shortened a little bit because uh, you – don't really have plans behind those guys uh, until you're able to draft players and get them in, like you said, uh, after a couple of seasons. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's a short window, 
um, a, a shorter window, probably two or three years, but uh, definitely looking like uh, there's a good chance that the Vikings could get it done here um, at some point during this latest window. Um, I remember this play because <clears throat> Twitter will not never let me forget it because it's also probably the greatest play in Vikings history, which is, it was, I mean, it's objectively cool on its own, but <laughs> let's be honest, Seth, it's, it's kind of sad that it is the greatest play in Vikings history. Uh, Stefan Diggs, Saints catch. The man who made the famous play to save the Vikings bacon and send them to the NFC Championship last year and this past January. Um, he's been involved in a lot of contract extension talks. Um, he's one of the Vikings' better draft picks in the past several years. Um, we met. We you mentioned how we both we both mentioned how we both think he's better than Thielen. Um, are you willing to break the bank for him, Seth? I think if you kind of alluded to it, I'm getting the sense that you would. Yes. If I am, if, if I need to make the choice between signing him to an extension or Anthony Barr, uh, I'm going with Diggs because look at what Diggs does well. He's a very, very good route runner. Um, he, Is he gritty too? Is he gritty too? <laughs> I, I I guess I'll I'll throw gritty on him. Everybody, well, wait, now I'm confused. Now I'm confused. Anyway, continue, continue. Everybody's got a little gritty to him. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think that he does best is contested catches, and that that Minneapolis miracle or Minnesota miracle, whatever you want to call it. Oh, don't call it that. That's so cheesy. Uh, sorry, sorry. That catch against the Saints um, <laughs> was a, a pretty. Uh, it, it was not an easy catch by any means because he was going up for the ball. Uh, the Saints defensive back was trying to do something, trying to undercut him, I guess. Um, so that would, uh, I suppose, qualify as a contested catch. But those 50-50 balls uh, is what I'm mostly focusing on. And, and he does a really good job of going up and getting the ball. You look at some of these taller receivers, you want to be able to throw the ball up to them and have their receiver go up and get it. And Diggs is able to do that. He's able to, uh, despite not being you know as tall as as like a Julio Jones or some of those other receivers, he's able to go up and get the ball, and that puts a lot of confidence in your quarterback, knowing that if you have a shot in one on one coverage in the corner of the end zone, uh, and you want to go to your guy, that Diggs is going to uh, likely be able to come down with the ball. Uh, he brings a lot of that, but also he does a lot of other things well that don't show up. And I know that's a little cliched, but he, he does a lot of he's things. Sounded really gritty to me, Seth. He, he does sounded. a lot of things really, really well. And so I would uh, I would definitely um, try to lock him up to uh, make sure that Kirk Cousins is going to have his top targets uh, during his tenure here with the Vikings. Seth, I look up, and before we continue, um, this is Windy City Gridiron Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglinski. And Seth, who does great radio work with KLGR in Redwood Falls, Minnesota, you can follow him on Twitter at Seth Toops, S-E-T-H-T-O-U-P-S. Uh, we're breaking down Bears-Vikings. We're breaking down the Bears and Vikings. Seth, I've been looking up and down the Vikings roster. Um, and just from, purely from a 2018 standpoint, 
I don't think I really see a weakness, and I really want to. I've been trying to pick holes where I can, you know, doing some rationalizing. But I don't see a weakness on their on this roster for the 2018 season exclusively. Is there one that I'm overlooking, or is it? This is really just that complete a roster, and which, which I mean, that's fine. That's fine. That's totally fine. I'm I'm not at all bothered by it. No. Well, if I'm going to be completely honest, and I I, I pride myself in, in being honest as opposed to uh, being somebody that uh, that drinks the uh, the purple Kool Aid exclusively. Um, like I talked about a little bit before with all these top, uh, top tier players that the Vikings have on their roster, their depth gets uh, a little bit sketchy, uh, particularly on the offensive line. Now they, they aren't really a hundred percent decided on what they're going to do at right guard. So I, I would list that as, as being a weakness. If I had to pick, um, I think offensive line depth in general, with that unit uh, is going to be a question mark. And I just, I look at the, uh, the linebacker and secondary depth as well. Now the secondary depth was addressed in the draft with uh, Mike Hughes and also uh, Holton Hill, uh, the undrafted uh, defensive back that the Vikings signed. So they brought those guys in to help a little bit with that. Cause you worry if Xavier Rhodes goes out for a, a series or two, how you're able to, uh, to fill in for him. But you, you look at, the linebacker position, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks. They've also got uh, Ben Gedeon coming off of his rookie season. Kendricks and Barr, very, very good. And they're on the field a lot. But what happens if they're not on the field? What do you do there? Uh, that, I think, is, uh, is a big spot, um, at least that I'm looking at uh, and hopefully will be addressed in training camp just to try to figure out how that depth uh, gets solved. But I mean, you could look maybe at third wide receiver too with Laquan Treadwell, who has really not done anything to this point in his career. Um, there is uh, a wide receiver, Brandon Zilstra, who could hopefully help with that. They also signed Kendall Wright. So there are some just overall depth question marks with this team. But I think you look at the roster from last year to this year, uh, and I think they at least tried to address a lot of those questions. It's just going to be a matter of if they are able to stay relatively healthy throughout this year. Uh, I would hope that the uh, the quarterback injury uh, was last year and that that does not happen again this year. Although uh, I think Trevor Semyon is would be okay if he needed to come in He's uh, bad, for Seth. a few games. We'll He's see bad, now. Seth. Again, I said if he had to come in for a couple of games, I think he'd be okay. <laughs> We've got we've got the X factor. We've got the ultimate weapon in Kyle Sloter, uh, just waiting for an opportunity. Uh, uh, and then when he takes that opportunity, look out because uh, you're looking at the next Aaron Rodgers, uh, Peyton Manning, maybe better than any of them uh, when he finally is able to get into a game. You see, when when I said, and, and this is no fault of your own, like I, I thought when you said that you're not going to drink the purple Kool Aid, that you were were going to legitimately paint out or illustrate like a, a legitimate roster weakness. But you went with the standard answer of every elite team. Oh, we just hope that injuries don't get us and, you know, some depth like the third, like the fifth wide receiver. We just hope that maybe he'll be fine. So, yeah, the Vikings are a complete roster, Seth. That's, that's, that's kind of the gist I got. I'm not, I'm not mad about it at all. Did I, did I not specifically point to right guard? Oh, you know, you did, you did, but that doesn't, <laughs> eh, 
you still did the injuries thing. You said, that's, I'm like, oh, that's fair. That's a fair injuries, point. As long as injuries don't get us. So, yeah, they're basically, they have what, one weakness, like one position? Yeah. Like, I guess if Akeem Hicks lines up against right guard every single play, which won't happen, I guess they're fine. Whatever. I would say probably. <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, so the Vikings, at least to me, I mean, there's the NFL, Seth, if we're going to be honest, is a league that prides itself on giving hope, right? That's why, that's why the draft season is its own industry, which to me is so incredibly uncomfortable of like putting these young, I mean, I cover, I cover it for a living. I'm just being, I'm being honest. Now. I mean, I, I cover it because it's a necessity and it's, it's something to something to do, something to analyze. But it's just it's so it's always been so weird to out of the draft and that there are people that legitimately like take more stock into the draft than like the actual games. I guess I don't know. I'm more of a reporter. I like more of the storytelling. I, I can do both. I can analyze, I can do all the film stuff, I can I can see how players translate well to games. But it's just so uncomfortable for me to do this to like 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. Um, at any rate, that hope is a big thing. And as is anguish, right? A lot of most NFL teams aren't the Packers, Steelers, and Patriots. Most NFL teams have a uh, – either are just completely abject jokes like the Cleveland Browns, if we're being completely honest, right? Or like the Falcons or even the Vikings will, who, you know, occasionally, you know, uh, on a good pace, make the playoffs and then just experience the worst of heartbreaks and like, even no matter the quality of their team. Um, how much, you know where I'm going with this, how much do you think this still hangs over this roster even after getting through the Minnesota Miracle and then... But then suffering that beatdown against the Eagles, does the Kirk Cousins addition kind of, I don't know, regalvanize them that everything's still on track? How much, you know, how much does this hang over them? Let me uh, let me throw you a, a question. Um, in, in the case of the NFC title game, um, I, I look at it two different ways. It, it could have been a situation where the Vikings went to Philadelphia. And uh, they battled the Eagles, and it was a close game. And then they end up losing in a fashion similar to uh, how the Saints lost to the Vikings in the divisional round. That would be one of those scenarios where you maybe were the better team, similar to, while we're talking about heartbreak, similar to 2009, where the Vikings seemed to be the better team throughout the game against the Saints. They turned the ball over, I, I don't know, seven, eight times. And uh, the Saints ended up winning the game. But you look at uh, all the numbers, time of possession. Uh, the Vikings were the uh, the team that did better that day other than turnovers. There was not a single scenario other than that opening drive where the Vikings were better than the Eagles. So for me as a fan, it, it was a little easier to accept the fact that we were not the better team. Whereas if you have a game like uh, against the Saints and uh, you end up 
losing that game where Diggs maybe doesn't get out of bounds and then you end up losing at the 20-yard line uh, as opposed to winning that game. Um, I, I think it's a little easier to stomach a blowout because there really was no situation where you said, hey, we, I think we got a chance to win this game. And uh, it it's better to, I guess, have your heart ripped out than to just be stabbed in the chest and bleed out slowly, uh, if that makes any sense. Right. So you don't think – oh, that was the fandom. You don't think this necessarily impedes the players in any way? I mean, I, I, I would imagine that history of other completely different rosters doesn't necessarily affect them and then – overcoming the demons in that Saints game. You don't so that 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 seemed to me more like a fan question. That seemed like more of like how Minnesota views it. Yeah, but, I I I feel like the team exercised some demons in that Saints game and I think the Eagles game left uh, a bad taste that they got to this point in the season and then they just were completely um run out of the stadium. I think the team looks at uh, at bringing in a guy like Kirk Cousins who uh, similar to these, a lot of the players on this roster has never really gotten to that ultimate point yet. So they view it all as, uh, as a similar goal, obviously. And I, I think there is hope amongst the team that the pieces that they brought in are going to better prepare them uh, for situations like that later on in the season where they've got the quarterback that can hopefully get them over the top, and they've got a defensive line that can uh, stop the opposing quarterback from throwing up and down the field. So I, I think that uh, the Vikings are just going to uh, to move on from last year, and, and they're just going to try to uh, to do the same thing that every team does uh, when the season starts, and that's get to uh, Atlanta and uh, and end up hoisting the trophy. The North looks, I mean, on paper, we've discussed this a lot this offseason, more competitive than ever, even with Matthew Stafford's zero playoff wins. Um, so it's still pretty competitive. Matt Nagy has um, kind of re-energized the Bears. Mitch Trubisky, in an ideal situation, looks like he's going to come along. Aaron Rodgers is always Aaron Rodgers. Um, this is a kind of a two-parter, Seth. Who, who do you think... Or who would you perceive as the biggest threat to the Vikings' reign, current reign in the North, as an NFC contender, as division champion? Um, and how do you think they'll stay competitive and like what should really be a true battle? I mean, if everyone stays healthy, or at least the most important players stay healthy, those six-game gauntlets slates for each team just look absolutely brutal for, the, for this season. So. Um, who do you perceive as the biggest threat and, and how are the Vikings going to stay on top? I'm going to go with the, uh, the obvious candidate here for part one of this question, that being uh, the green Bay Packers. Now it, it's interesting with green Bay, they've got Aaron Rodgers back, but you look at the defensive side of the ball. They made a couple of nice additions to that side of the ball. Uh, Mohammed Wilkerson will help them. Uh, with uh, getting to the quarterback more than they were able to in the past. But uh, a lot of the rest of their defense is pretty young and unproven. So that leads me to believe 
that there's going to be a, a, a bit of a learning curve for that defense, which uh, has held Green Bay back uh, at times in the past, the year that it seemed like they were destined to go to the Super Bowl, uh, and then Atlanta stepped in and just decimated that secondary. Um, I think Green Bay, just because of Aaron Rodgers being the uh, the best quarterback uh, that we have in the league, I'm not even going to – this is coming from Vikings fan. I'm not even going to mince – words that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback uh, in the NFL, hands down. Um, that always makes them a threat to any team in the NFC. Um, he's got uh, some new toys. Jimmy Graham, if you believe that's a big addition or not. Um, so I, I think Green Bay is going to uh, to be the biggest threat to this Vikings team for now. Now, I... Um, in order for them to be able to continue to be a threat, they're going to have to make some strides defensively. Like I talked about, they've got a bunch of uh, rookies on the uh, the defensive side of the ball. So once they get accustomed to playing at the NFL level uh, and uh, can actually uh, start to make some stops, you can't win every game 45 to 41. You have to be able to make some stops on defense is that the ultimate answer to uh, to being able to win a championship? No, but you have to be able to stop teams when your offense stalls out. And uh, and if Green Bay gets to the point where they can count on their defense a couple of times a game uh, to be able to uh, to make some plays while Rodgers is quarterback, uh, they then will uh, will continue to uh, to keep the gap uh, between them and the Vikings pretty thin. Now. On the flip side, the Vikings, they need to show that they can beat Aaron Rodgers with him playing a full game and him playing on his uh, home turf. That's not something that they've really been able to do uh, during the Mike Zimmer era. They beat uh, Green Bay in Lambeau with Teddy Bridgewater uh, to win the division. But other than that, they really have struggled uh, trying to beat Green Bay on the road, and they've struggled against them at home as well. So they need to show that they can beat Aaron Rodgers when he is at full strength and ready to go. Uh, you can't always count on Anthony Barr to do uh, whatever he is uh, accused of having done uh, <laughs> to uh, to Green Bay's beloved quarterback. Uh, you can't always count on things like that to happen. You have to be able to go in and take a team's best punch and be able to get up off the mat and punch right back. So uh, answer to both of those questions, Green Bay, I think, needs to make some strides defensively to uh, to keep up the gap uh, with the Vikings, which is, uh, I think, pretty thin right now. Uh, and on the Vikings side of things, if they can start to consistently beat uh, Green Bay both uh, at home and start to win some games on the road against the Packers, then they're going to be able to, uh, to keep that gap uh, where it currently is. Seth, uh... Let's be honest. When we saw Kirk Cousins, he had a viral photograph go on Instagram about five days ago for the 4th of July. Um, what was he cooking? It's, he's, he's trying to explain now. Um, he says that the man himself, after the fact, has said that he was grilling steaks. Seth. This is, we're, we're, we're breaking this down because this is a really pertinent question. This is, this is really... <laughs> This is really important to get down to the bottom because this is the Vikings quarterback. I mean, this is a guy that might be, you know, he might be hoisting the Lombardi next February. We we can't have a guy that 
you know, potentially is has access to Area 51 and is cooking up some alien meat on his, on his grill. I mean, if you look at, for anyone listening, if you, if you go to, just go to Kirk Cousins' Instagram, you'll find it. I mean, these are just like slabs, just bricks of meat, and they are the weirdest looking things I've ever seen. Um, I'm, like I told you in the pre-show, of the opinion that they're bison meat, that somehow he has some connections from the American Old West in the early 20th century where they've been able to preserve the meat for almost nine decades. I mean, over almost a century now, actually. And he's eating the old bison that were wiped away in the Great Plains. I, I, I mean, that, that, the, that meat looks just ridiculously gaudy, to be honest. And, and this, this is a conspiracy that we, we can't let go. Um, I'm not going to buy his explanation, to be honest. Robert, are you familiar with a xenomorph? Um, from the Aliens franchise, right? Yes. 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 That uh, that is what he's eating. He killed a xenomorph, and uh, he was grilling it on the Fourth of July. That's what I'm going with. So he's uh, he's a predator. This is Alien versus Predator. He's yes. predator. He is uh, he is a predator, and uh, the rest of the NFC North is uh, his prey. That was cheesy. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I just okay. Wow. <laughs> So is so is Aaron Rodgers Arnold? Is that what we're going with? Is there? You know any... that would actually probably be pretty fitting. That's actually probably pretty I, fitting. I yeah. would say he wouldn't be Carl Weathers because Carl Weathers. Well, spoiler alert: he loses an arm and he. Well, Carl Weathers is, is Matthew Stafford. That's in, in, in the line. Was it? Uh, was it Carl Weathers' throwing arm? It was Kyle. It was the right arm. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. So so. Yeah, Carl, we might have stumbled upon something here. Carl Weathers has zero playoff wins. He has zero playoff. See, well, on this podcast, we lean in when 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 we make cheesy jokes. Just that, that's we we lean all the way in. Um, but that wasn't a joke. That's he's really eating xenomorph meat. Everybody, I mean, this get to the bottom. of This hashtag AVP conspiracy. Um, w look it up at WCG. It's to, it's totally there, guys. It's totally there. Got you. <laughs> um, let's review. We're gonna get to the matchup soon. We've been um. I want to talk a little Vikings free agency. Um, after having one of the best fronts, defensive fronts in football, Seth, objectively, I mean, he was the number one defense um, overall in, in yardage and score in scoring. Um, Kirk Cousins was the big fish, but we've talked about him. Somehow, the Vikings were able to nab away Sheldon Richardson on a one-year deal, and then. That number three receiver, they were able to get Kendall Wright on a cheap one-year deal and put him – he's going to be a solid slot guy. He's going to be in the role that he should have been with the Bears last year. Uh, talk to me about their impact and about why Sheldon Richardson going to the Vikings is so totally unfair. Well, I think just in being able to free up everybody else, that that's the most appealing part to me about bringing in – Sheldon Richardson. And I know when he first signed with the Vikings, uh, I had a lot of people kind of scratching their head of, well, he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't very good with the, the jets numbers wise. And then he got traded to Seattle. So what's going on? Well, the jets for some just unknown reason decided that they were going to, uh, to try to move him to uh, outside linebacker. And that went uh, about as predictably as you could imagine. Uh, not well in his last year there. So then he got traded to Seattle. They put him back on the defensive line. 
He was just an absolute mauler. Um, and I think when the Vikings were looking at bringing him in, that was something that they really looked at is this guy can be that, uh, that missing piece on this defensive line, and he's going to take pressure off of everybody else uh, on that defensive line. He's going to free up some opportunities for Everson Griffin. He's going to free up some uh, opportunities for Daniil Hunter on both sides, and, and that's going to allow uh, the Vikings to be a little bit more creative with their defensive fronts. They will be able to bring Brian Robison in um, up the middle, which is something that they did uh, at some points last year now that he's become kind of a, a super uh, utility defensive lineman um, over the last couple of years. Uh, it brings them versatility. It also brings them just a, a very formidable uh, offensive or defensive line that you're not really going to be able to truly devote attention to one player on that line because they're all good enough to beat you. And it's going to take pressure off of a lot of different areas um, with the secondary, not having to uh, to try to cover uh, receivers as long if they can consistently and quickly get to the quarterback. It'll take some pressure off there, and, and it also will uh, will help take a little bit of the pressure off the offense uh, by uh, by being able to uh, to have more chances if they can uh, can get teams to go into three and out consistently, which is something that they've been very good at over the last couple of years, uh, just getting three and outs uh, and turning teams away on third down. So I think it's just one of those situations where you've got uh, you've got a perfectly good uh, whatever kind of cake you enjoy, uh, and then somebody uh, somebody says, "Hey." Here's some ice cream. No charge. Go ahead and top it off. Put it on your cake. Whatever, whatever you, whatever dessert uh, floats your boat. Uh, the Vikings got toppings added to that free of charge. This is the cheesiest podcast I have ever done, and I love it. I I I, I appreciate you, Seth. I do. <laughs> you know me and my cliches. I love them. Um. Draft review, so the big fish here, Mike Hughes. This is kind of that um, point you were discussing earlier about supplementing the stars with stars that can come in ready to play after the guys of age. So Mike Hughes is probably going to have a significant role this year, more than likely. He's the big fish here. You also have Brian O'Neill, Jalen Holmes. Tyler Conklin, the move tight end, Daniel Carlson, Colby Gosset, um, Ada Runa, who I really liked as a late-round pass rusher. Um, who sticks out to you from this draft class? Who's going to help immediately, and who could have a bright future? I I don't want to go with the obvious choice, but Mike Hughes, I think, fits one of their biggest needs, um, a, a slot cornerback. Now, it's not necessarily his uh, number one position, but he showed – at the uh, collegiate level that he can handle it. And that was an area in the NFC title game that really exploited the Vikings defense was the, uh, the run pass option. And the Vikings just, they, they didn't have an answer for it because guys were getting free over the middle of the field. And uh, this is going to allow them to take some pressure off of Mackenzie Alexander, um, who the, uh, the jury is out as to whether or not he is going to be, he put up some good numbers um, last year in the slot, but I think uh, just giving Mike Zimmer another option that will bring some versatility uh, in the secondary 
uh, to allow him to take out players who aren't necessarily performing up to par. Uh, I think Hughes will be the one who has the most immediate impact. But let's not forget, we've got ourselves uh, a converted tight end offensive lineman who uh, can actually catch the ball. He can run a little bit, too. So don't be surprised. I, I asked this question uh, on Twitter today to uh, to one of my uh, my Vikings guests. Um, which is more likely, Brian O'Neill makes his first start or uh, he catches his first touchdown pass? Which one comes first? And I wouldn't be surprised if we see O'Neill get some run uh, in that offense with uh, John Filippo. Um, in some of those goal line packages. So I think both of the uh, the first and uh, second round picks have uh, have a good chance to uh, to make a good impact. Uh, maybe not in the way you'd think, but uh, I think they'll both make some pretty good impacts for this team. Finally, we get to the meat of this, and not the not the xenomorph <laughs> cousins meat, but actual meat, meat and potatoes. Um, the Bears and the Vikings. Uh, Seth, uh, the matchup, I, w- I don't know. I always preface this because I don't – I think I've said this on your show too. I don't think the Bears and I don't think the Vikings really – I just don't think these two teams really view each other as rivals per se. And I, I don't think the fan bases do. I don't think the players do. I don't think there's – I can't really point to any game that was like significant in the rivalry. I can't point to any beef. It's always it's interesting. I mean, that's just fascinating to me because these two teams play twice every year, and there's just seems to be it's almost like there's no relevant history or animosity between them. I mean, do you have that same sense? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. You you take away the divisional matchup label uh, from this uh, these two teams, and, and it would be it it wouldn't really have any more weight to it than uh, than any of the other games that they've had on their schedule it's not uh, it's not remotely close to uh, to bears packers um and it uh i don't know if there if there is another rivalry in the division that uh, that is going to get close to that but uh it is one of those it's interesting cuz you get uh, a couple of different looks um at each other now like you said, uh, th- this really hasn't had uh, many relevant games. And as we're going through this, I'm just trying to scan back uh, to see the last time that uh, that there was uh, some games that uh, that had really a lot at stake. Uh, the Bears beat the Vikings uh, back in 2016 in Week 8. Um, but other than that, I mean... I don't know. I, I suppose the last memorable Bears game uh, that that I can think of is 2009, when Jay Cutler was able to beat the Vikings uh, in overtime um, in the 2009 season. So it, it has been a while since uh, these games have had uh, any sort of real uh, substance, and and hopefully the the Matt Nagy era will will start to restore some of that uh, and, and bring us maybe a, a level of this. Uh, divisional foe that we haven't seen uh, here for uh, quite some time. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I think the Bears are similarly structured to the Vikings in that while Mitch Trubisky is a younger quarterback, um, they've built up a two- to three- or four-year window, and then they're preparing for that downturn after that. But they're 
trying to go for the playoffs and go for a Super Bowl now, just at the same time as the Vikings. And, you know, if the Bears get good, you'll, you're going to be competing for, you know, a likely top seed or a wild card berth and having to play an extra, extra game if everything goes to plan between these two teams. And then, and finally, then there will be some actual bad blood. Finally, then something will have built up. Um, because as, as you and I are sitting here, we can't really think of anything. Um, on that note, though, so we're going to do in the cliche X factors and like, you know, strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> what is one area the Bears, I mean, okay, this, it's the entire freaking team to be real, but what is one area the Bears should particularly be concerned about these new little Bears with the Vikings? Well, I would, uh, I guess um, I'm going to pull another clue. I, I may as well just be Kirk Cousins, just cheesy and uh, just just going through a bunch of cliches and everything. But I'm going to go with the battle in the trenches um, as uh, a spot that uh, that could be concerning for both teams. I, I would say uh, the Bears defensive line uh, is one that the Vikings have to be uh, concerned about. Um, I would flip it over as well, and I would say that uh, that the Bears are obviously like everyone else that they are that the Vikings are going to play. Uh, the opponent's going to have to be wary of what the Vikings are doing on the defensive line. That I think is going to be uh, the biggest key for every opponent is if they can uh, if they can weather the pass rush and uh, can get a little bit of success running the ball. Uh, the Vikings seem like a team, at least from what I've seen, where if you can if you can punch them in the teeth, especially early, uh, it, it takes a little while to to kind of shake that off and, and get back to um, to playing the football that they like to play, like the NFC Championship. Yes, exactly. And uh, you look at some of the other games they lost this year. Pittsburgh able to do that. Uh, they they punched quite a bit. Uh, and, and just left the Vikings kind of in a heap there in week two. But also that week 14 loss to Carolina. Carolina was able to punch early and often, and it rattled the Vikings to the point where then they had to play catch up the uh, the entire second half. So if you can get a couple of uh, quick punches in, maybe a fake punt, hey, that's happened before, um, do that, uh, or, or some other just trick plays. Uh, use Tariq Cohen um, to... Uh, his full potential. Uh, I think that would be uh, a spot of concern uh, for the Vikings, but I would say uh, concern for the bears. Definitely that Vikings defensive line. Hey, fun fact, Pat O'Donnell has a, had a touchdown pass before Mitch Trubisky and Mitch Trubisky's debut. <sighs> fun fact. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that fake punt to Benny Cunningham and the Vikings bears money night football matchup last year. Um, you kind of just said it, but what is one area the Bears could potentially exploit to maybe steal a game, to maybe split the season series? Um, I'm going to be pretty safe in my assumption that they're not going to sweep the Vikings this year, but they could always take one of the two. So what's the one area that you'd be concerned about with the Bears as a Vikings man? Well, I, I would say based off of what we saw last year with the fake punt, and uh, I think the Bears have had uh, a couple of big returns against the Vikings in uh, in years past that that seems like one area that ha- has potential for the Vikings to uh, to be not 
a weakness, but uh, not necessarily a strength as special teams. So I'll say special teams because that uh, that seems like an area, like I mentioned, that has bitten the Vikings in years past. I would say that. Um, I will also say just taking uh, taking the Bears for granted. The, another thing that the Vikings have done since I've been a fan, they have definitely played down to their competition quite a bit. And we've talked a lot uh, the offseason about how much better the Bears got. You don't have the luxury of being able to do that anymore because this Bears team now, they've got pieces in place uh, to steal a quote from Brett Favre. Uh, they got pieces in place, and if you take them lightly, then you're going to uh, to end up on the wrong side of the score. So I would say those would probably be the uh, the biggest areas of concern um, as I look into this uh, this matchup between these two. Should be a fun one to get to this year. Maybe finally, like we mentioned, some actual animosity building, some actual tension, some actual stakes at play, if not in 2018, in the coming years, Matt Nagy coming in to revitalize the Bears and the Vikings established firmly as a Super Bowl contender. At least for now, they're in their window. We'll see what happens for both. Um, Seth, as, as I mentioned in the pre-show, we're going to go off some pretty big tangents now. Um, but anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. Follow me at Robert Zaglinski and follow Seth on Twitter again at Seth Toops, S-E-T-H-T-O-U-P-S. Uh, I saw this question on Twitter in the past few days, and since this isn't this is a football, this is a man's football's man podcast, not about baseball and Mike Trout. <laughs> baseball, anyway. Um, who it was about athletes being wasted and all-time great athletes being wasted on bad teams. I mentioned Dick Butkus, a first battle Hall of Famer, eight-time Pro Bowler, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, never had played in the playoffs, having two winning seasons. Um, I have another guy in mind, but who are some Vikings that kind of also fit that Mike Trout mold of being great and never kind of enjoying overall team success? Well, I'm going to I'm going to go with Adrian Peterson as one. Uh, they they did have uh, a lot of success in 2009, but you look at some of those other seasons that Peterson played, uh, such as oh, let's go to 2011. Now that was uh, a year that Peterson only played 12 games, but the team team went three and 13 that season. And you look at the numbers he put up. Uh, he had a thousand yards uh, several different times for the Vikings, but uh, they were never able to get him to the uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, they got to the uh, NFC title game one time, um, and uh, they were not in the playoffs from 2004 to 2007. Now I know some of those years did not include Peterson, but then they missed the playoffs 2010, 2011, 2013, 2014 as well, uh, and then uh, his final season with the Vikings, I think was just a, a perfect encapsulation of, of that failure um, where he only played in three games. The team was, was fighting to get to the playoffs and uh, he came back at the end of the season uh, for one game, just to try to get them in. And when that failed, then uh, he shut it down um, as well. So 
Uh, I think uh, Adrian Peterson would be a uh, a really good um, example of an athlete whose career was uh, was wasted uh, by the team. Now, I, I was going to go with uh, with a second one. But I'm not so sure now as I as I look at the numbers. But uh, maybe maybe it still would be uh, a, a good example. Um, Fran Tarkington. Now he Ooh, uh, was quarterback for um, a long time. He he played uh, with the New York Giants for a little bit, but uh, 13 years with the Vikings. And I mean that included seasons such as in 1962 they were two eleven and one. Um, he had some years where he went four seven and one, four eight and one. He came back to the Vikings and uh, he had some success near the end of his career, but uh, that early portion of his career and then with the New York Giants as well. I mean they went seven and seven twice, six and eight, nine and five, four and nine in his Giants tenure. So I think Tarkenton would be another example. His playoff career, he was six and five, and uh, a guy who put up a lot of great numbers throughout his career, but just never really again uh, was able to get to that ultimate goal uh, of getting to uh, and winning a Super Bowl. You know who I had in mind? Can you guess the other person? He's a modern player. Oh, uh, let's see. You get one try. I see. I would say Brian Urlacher, but they they got to a, a Super Bowl with they him. Got to, they got Super to Bowl, three playoff appearances. I mean, I don't know if that's the most successful career for a first ballot Hall of Famer, but they were on the precipice of a title. It's not Urlacher. Um, it's it's Matt Forte. Ooh. So fun fact: the most productive player. Most productive running back that is in terms of all-purpose yards over his ten-year career, um, and he only played in the playoffs twice, and he only enjoyed three winning seasons of those ten years, and he's was the most productive running back of the last of the last decade, by far. I mean, even he, he was never in, in the conversation of like best all-around, best running back like Adrian Peterson now or. Or Le'Veon Bell, but a firmly underrated guy and a guy that never was able to firmly shine in the postseason stage simply because the Bears didn't get there enough. And then even the Jets, um, in that one year where they had like Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, um, they choked away in the final play in the in the final game of the regular season of the Bills and didn't make the playoffs for Brian Fitzpatrick. So um yeah, one of the most productive and best all around versatile backs the NFL has ever seen. And I, don't know. I think I, I I don't know I maybe I'm more appreciative for seeing him firsthand, but he was he was dominant, and it's a shame that he didn't really get to do that often in January. I have uh, a Matt Forte angle to this. I have a Matt Forte story that will help me. Um, it helped me uh, fully agree with you that he was uh, was definitely an underappreciated player. I was in uh, a fantasy league with uh, a bunch of coworkers. Uh, back in my previous job and we're still in the league and I want to say it was a keeper league and we didn't really have rules as to how long you could keep certain players. I want to say I had Matt Forte for probably eight seasons or seven seasons, something like that. And it just was, 
it was a guarantee. Like you'd keep him every year and people would, people would kind of give you weird looks. They'd laugh and say, well, what is this guy doing? He might as well just take his money. And then you get to the end of the year and he's like the top one or two uh, in scoring for running backs like <laughs> every season. So it's like, yeah, absolutely. He was a guy who uh, put up great numbers and just, uh, again, never really had a chance to show it on the biggest stage. I'm sad now. Why do we do this? I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get mad now. Uh, finish up this this whole this whole bad boy. So I saw today and before the show that before we're recording this that episode nine, the next episode of Star Wars, and this new, not so new, nostalgic completely nostalgic fan service trilogy that they're bringing back Billy D Williams that Disney's bringing back Billy D Williams as Lando Calrissian in the fine in the epic conclusion I mean I guess quotation marks around the epic conclusion for me anyway to this trilogy uh to Ray's story to Kylo Ren's story um and I'm kind of mad about it and I'm not like mad about it in the sense that I want a fundraiser that of money I don't have, and I'm going to harass actresses off of Instagram. <laughs> but uh. I don't know. I mean, I, I Star Wars fans don't even know what they complain about because, for example, those angry fanboys, Seth, they're complaining about how it veers away too much from the Skywalkers being royalty and all. These movies, they have prominent Luke and prominent Leia and prominent Han. It's relying so much on the original characters to prop up the new characters. And then from the other perspective, it's, I mean, instead of trying something new, which, I mean, this is kind of the, this was kind of the faulting. I think they were so scared by the failures of the prequels that objectively tries something new, just that George Lucas is a bad writer. Um, or proved to be a bad writer then, that they felt they needed to prop up. They felt they 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 felt that they needed these original trilogy characters around these new guy, these new um, Jedi, and these new um, big Force players to 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 move their movies forward. And I mean, to me, that's disappointing. I I don't. I'm not sure how much effort they've actually put in. To, to building Ray and to building Kylo Ren and to building um, Finn uh, on their own. And, and, and I think I used the line, letting Bambi run free um, and without Luke and without Leia and without everybody else. And then even while, when they have the, these, these, these original trilogy characters, they don't have consequences for them. Like Carrie Fisher, rest, rest in peace. Um, why is her character still around for episode nine? Why didn't you give her like a heroic sacrifice death in episode eight? Why is, and then now you're bringing back Lando and, and, and then it just makes no sense to me. Um, Star Wars to me, I, I mean, I like the franchise. I like the franchise, but I, I don't understand. I'm going on a little rant here, but I'm, I'm finishing up. <laughs> I don't understand the people that hail this as one of the greatest of all time, maybe the original trilogy on its own. But once you start extending out this franchise to the milking thing, like they don't try anything new. They don't take any risks. 
and when they take when so no no here's the thing when they take risks they're bad they are bad and so they're not capable of taking risks and they, and they re, they rely on the original trilogy's success as a crutch and just rely on fan service it's it's not a good move it's not like a great movie franchise i wouldn't put it even in my top 5 um, I, I, I'm going to see episode nine and I'm going to like it. Cause I mean, I, last Jedi, it's fine movie. I, I mean, it's something I'll rewatch, but definitely not a masterpiece by any means. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I'm a movie buff. So I'm taking this a little more seriously, but like I said, I'm not going to start a fundraiser or anything or, or harass anyone on Instagram. So. Well, I, I think there is a fair level of, I suppose burnout would be the right word with, uh, with star Wars is so you had this, this third trilogy that's being added and is supposed to be uh, kind of the end of it. You had rogue one, you had the, uh, the solo uh, story. Then there were rumors of another trilogy and a bunch of these little solo um, movies for various characters I think there gets to be a point where it's like, can we just back up for a second, please? Right, right, right. And I I agree with you that a story, especially one that is building off of um, previous iterations, it, it needs to be able to stand up on its own. There's nothing wrong with drawing off of previous uh, material in the way of cameos. I think some of them uh, were fine. I, I thought they did. Uh, I thought they did a pretty good job of kind of um, going through Luke's story and giving him um, giving him uh, a fitting end. They, whether or not you think they did, um, they, they tried to do that for Han Solo. Um, but then, yeah, they they ran out of time, and obviously uh, Carrie Fisher's death played into it. Um, they didn't get a chance to really do that for her. But at the same time, there there is something to be said about bringing back main characters into uh, to f- later versions to to give them uh, kind of their their final portion of the story. There's something to be said about that. But bringing back some of these other characters, they may as well bring back Jar Jar Binks at this point. Or uh, I think they did somewhat reference Admiral Akbar, which was absurd. Um, it, it gets to, it's too much. They, they could have done with just having the main characters get their send off. And that was that they have now dipped into the secondary character pool. And now it starts to feel really bogged down. Um, this is a franchise that has been marked with a lot of big swings and misses making Jar Jar Binks one of your Hey, that's Sith Lord Jar Jar Binks to you. I love that theory, by the way. I wish they would have done something with that. But no, we get Jar Jar Binks, who's just this bumbling, um, run into every possible bad scenario and still somehow make it alive character. Uh, they they did that. Um, some of the uh, some of the choices via dialogue or just story in general uh, from episodes two and three were pretty eye-opening so it's a it's a franchise that i think just really never has known when to say no they had the original trilogy which was good i I still watch those to this day 
But hey, should we do a prequel trilogy? Yes. Should we do a follow-up trilogy? Yes. Should we do some branch-off stories? There would could have been a point where they just said, you know what? No. This is enough. Let's just let it stand as is and not uh, water it down, not try to make it its own uh, universe. And well, see, here's the thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Are you, so go ahead. I, I was just—I was just going to say—and they—they just—they never seemed like they really got to the point where they—they they thought what they had was enough. Well, that's the thing. That's what capital—you're going to capitalism is going to be. You're going to milk a money opportunity mm-hmm. at every at every at every chance you get. It's just that my 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 thing is that they don't do it well. And 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 I, I like that 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 notion that they don't know how to say no. Because they just don't know how to let Luke and Leia have their moment. You're saying they're bringing back these main characters to kind of like finish their stories, but weren't their stories finished in the original trilogy? Why couldn't you just have built a new trilogy around a powerful female Jedi in Rey and then a, a whiny man child in Kylo Ren? Why couldn't you just have built a trilogy around them? Why did you have to? Why did Luke or Leia or Han have to be involved at all? I was you watched the original trilogy, I like just and know nothing else about Star Wars, and you're under the impression that their story's over. They conquered the Empire. Why? Why, why do they have to be brought back in? Why, why? Why? Why did Why did Luke have to teach a Jedi Academy? Why does Leia have to be the commander of of the forces, and then somehow force swim or force fly back into the ship after get after the destroyer control room gets destroyed in the last Jedi. Sorry, spoilers alert. I'm pretty sure most of you have seen. <laughs> um like why 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 does why, why does that have to happen? You know, like it just, it just doesn't make sense. Like if you're going to milk the franchise, which is perfectly fine, you have the franchise rights and it's a universe that in my mind has so much opportunity for interesting stories, for fantasy stories. I have no problem with that. Just do them well and do and let them stand alone. Let like for such a powerful company like Disney or for such a powerful filmmaker previously like George Lucas, it's just like, I don't know. They, they don't right, take advantage of this opportunity. Anybody else that feels like that would have the star Wars IP would have done something different to milk this and would have done something different to, to go back to the well and, and, and take advantage. But they just said they just haven't done that well. And, and, and again, I like how you put that. They, they don't know how to say no. They don't know how to say no to just cut off ties between each one. I can't wait to see what James Cameron does with the nine Avatar movies he's got planned. Okay, well, that's, the, you know, <laughs> while, I, while I say it's good to milk some franchises, because start like, Avatar was a bad movie, so I doubt we even get past the second one. Um, so that's a franchise that wouldn't be good to be milked, Seth. Um, that, that's a different story. Well, I'm talking about franchises that have had success that can, and you know, have more potential for a universe. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, Avatar. Avatar was the one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's oh. a, that's a different that's a different completely. One. Uh, Final thought on that. It just, everybody wants to be the Marvel cinematic universe because what they have done um, by and large has worked. I mean, they've had 10 years of movies. They just put out uh, infinity war and now ant-man and the wasp, which uh, I loved each one. Each one is connected. Sure. Each one has to connect to the, to your setting up different movies, but 
they can stand alone. Yes. They've mastered their own character development and mastered their own individual stories, whatever may have you in each movie to like make them interesting and stand on their own to where every character is fleshed out and you care about the heroes. I mean, this last year was terrific. Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War, Ant-Man, the Wasp. They've mastered their formula. And while, I mean, I can, I can understand some people getting the superhero film burnout. It's just that each of these movies, they're fun. They're, they're good. They're well-made. You can't argue. Um, and in Disney owning Marvel is trying to do that with Star Wars. And it's just that it doesn't work the same way. It just doesn't work the same way at all. You know, you have three or four main characters, but they're not like standalone mascots like Spider-Man and the Hulk and, and, and Thor and, and, and Ant-Man and whatever. They're like old, crusty Jedi that probably shouldn't be really around anymore. It's different. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's... It'll be interesting to see what Star Wars does for um, Episode Nine, but I, I will that be the last Star Wars movie? Absolutely not. Um, well, they have the, they have that new trilogy after that, right? Yeah, oh, you know, the, new, the new trilogy, and I mean, I think they put all these standalone films on hold for now. But yeah. who's to say that they don't bring them back eventually? Oh, that's enough nerd, <laughs> nerd anger, nerdger, nerdger. We've 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 talked enough alien. We've talked enough xenomorph meat, meat and and predator meat and and, and Star Wars and bears, Vikings. Uh, Seth, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I know, I know I go on your show often, so I I, I love the reciprocation that, that we had here. Um, thanks, buddy. Likewise, I I love being able to be on the the other side of the mic. Uh, being the one asked the question, so I'm I'm happy to do it anytime, and we'll, we'll definitely have more uh, of these uh, these cross ventures um, as we get closer to the season. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I I was thinking once we actually get closer to the matchup and where you know where we can talk actual football, but not any rankings. It'll <sighs> be fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the, the exact. I, I I can hear the aspiration in your voice. <laughs> he is he is Seth Topol. He's the sports announcer for the Scoop Show at KLGR, uh, Minnesota Redwood Falls. You can follow him on Twitter. That's S E T H T O U P S. That's at S E T H T O U P S. You can follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Siglinski. Uh, and we're wrapping up this summer preview series. I promise we're almost done. Got a few more teams left. But until then, guys, stay classy. My heart skips skipping the beach. You're not close enough, so that space between you and me, let's lose it. The way you're dancing, swaying to the music, girl, that body and how you move it. Every time you cross my mind, girl, I lose it. Alexa, play the Country Heat playlist. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>